You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. The province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor. David and I decided that we really wanted to start a series um, that would help us to keep our focus in this season that we're entering into. And when I talk about a season, I'm talking about a season of expansion where we're actually going to start to expand our facilities. We're going to be building on to the building here. Um, There's a lot of other things that happen in that process. Uh, We're outgrowing this building, so we have the need uh, in front of us to expand. If you really want to know how urgent this is, how past due this is, uh, Jen Ross can refer you to any number of teachers and volunteers with our kids' ministry, and they will all give you uh, the lowdown, okay? Uh, They're back there working in some very cramped conditions. A lot of you know that in this room, part of the, the worship service is packed out and full when all the kids are in here and all the volunteers and, and teachers are in here. Um, and we're trying very hard to figure out what are the next steps for us as we go forward. And the, the elders are spending a lot of time looking at all of this. Um, and I say all that to say this. We, we want very much to grow. We want very much to expand but we want to do it focused in the right way. We want the right heart and the right spirit of Life Church. Um, and so it is our desire that we understand that anything we do to go forward has to be centered on the gospel. Uh, we do nothing that is not informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that is absolutely where we live and breathe in this church. And so David did a wonderful job of, of opening up this, this series for you last Sunday and, and giving you God's heart uh, for, for his church. Um, and I want to continue that. And I want to talk to you over a period of Sundays. And I want to use the, the life of Nehemiah and the work of Nehemiah to do that. All right. Um, now, Nehemiah is it's a great book, but it has been used and misused for the purpose of 
announcing a building program or a building project. And uh, um, a lot of you maybe have heard some of those sermons uh, along the way and just kind of cringe when you think about, oh no, this, what is Life Church doing? They're going into a building program and they're going to preach on Nehemiah. That just sounds absolutely horrible, doesn't it? Uh, well, well, let's believe that the Holy Spirit has some really good things for us to look at here. And I really want to use this to keep us gospel-centered, all right? So I'm not about trying to convince you of a building program or getting involved or paying for it or any of those kind of things. And uh, honestly, the last, I want, I want us to go forward here in Life Church in this new season of growth, um, of becoming a, a medium-sized church, of building and extending the facilities and all of that. I want to I do that without preaching one single sermon about money or giving, all right? Not one. Not one. So this is the last thing I want you to hear me say about that, other than if I have a praise report for something that God did miraculously for us in a financial way for Life Church. But I, I don't want to say anything else about money. I don't want to ask you to give money. I don't want to ask you about raising money for particulars on a building project. None of that, all right? What I want to do is I want to preach to you about staying centered on the gospel, and then I want you and I to prove God. I want us to live in the promises of God, and I want us to see what God will do for Life Church and for His kingdom going forward. So this is going to be an adventure. This is going to be a really, really fun time for all of us to see God move and to see you relax in church and not have to worry about, are the pastors going to preach a sermon about money on Sunday? All right, so we're going to create a climate here, all right? And the climate and the culture of Life Church isn't changing. It's going to stay the same. We're going to be centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly where David brought us and landed us on Sunday, was the heart of God, the heart of God that has big arms coming out from it and reaches around the world and is inclusive of all people, all nations, all races, all colors, tribes, tongues, and languages, all right? And that's what Life Church is. That's what Life Church is always going to be, and it's always going to be around the purpose of sharing the gospel with others. So with that in mind, I want to really ask you and I to learn some things from Nehemiah. And one of the first things that I want to learn from him, uh, and I promise you I'm not going to be a long time today, all right? I know we've done a lot of stuff already, and it's already almost 11.15, and I'm very aware of that, okay? So, but I want to say a few things to you to kind of start this, this part on, on uh, uh, Nehemiah off here today. Um, and where I want you to start here is I want you to look at Nehemiah as a very ordinary man. All right, I want you to see him as a very ordinary man. In some sense, um, he, his job was not one of, of great like, stature, uh, a, a great um, position. He was the cupbearer. I mean, for some, they think about that and think, well, that's probably a cush job. Like, you get to eat everything the king eats, and you get to drink everything the king drinks. That's true. Uh, but if someone poisons it, you're out. So it's not the greatest job, all right? It has its perks, but there's a risk involved in this man's career, okay? Um, and so we want to see this man, Nehemiah, as a man who is common in a sense, all right? He has a, he has a job to do, and he does his job, but in the midst of doing this job that he has to do, suddenly God intersects his life. 
God comes into his life in a most unusual way here, and I want to look at that. Now, here's how I want you to approach Nehemiah. I think we do it wrong a lot of times, all right? I think we look at Nehemiah and we go, what an extraordinary man. The wall got built in 52 days, you know. Uh, all of these, these amazing things happened. He is an extraordinary man. Actually, he's not that extraordinary. He has an extraordinary God, all right? And that's what makes him look extraordinary is the amazing things that God did through this very ordinary man's life. And here's what we do. We look at his life and we look at the accomplishments that God made and we sort of put that on Nehemiah and say, what a great man, and, and at the expense of recognizing what a great God we have. All right? And so I want to challenge you today. It's like if you and I go to a basketball game and we expect everybody who's playing the game at a high school basketball game to be LeBron or Jordan. And so it's like, well, yeah, these are two extraordinary men in a sense, yes. But not everybody is like them. As a matter of fact, most people aren't like them. All right? And, and, and we do this in other ways. If, if, I love Apple products, all right? I, I, I've, I, I'm now complete. I now have a, a, a Mac. I now have an iPad. And I now have a smartphone. And they all have apples on them. For me, it's like, I'm 65, I have everything I need, okay? I got it. I'm good to go, all right? Uh, and so, so Mr. Jobs is a, is a guy that I've watched, and, and, and I've been intrigued by him, and he's an extraordinary, was an extraordinary man, all right? But there's a lot of other people that have made Apple what it is today that are very ordinary people in a lot of ways, but, but they've done amazing things, all right? And, and for some of them, I mean, a lot of us think that all the people who work in the Silicon Valley or work with computers and, and are techie are ungodly people. You know, they're not. Many of them are faithful Christians, and God has used many, many Christians in, in technological circles uh, to advance communication and do a lot of things, and the church has benefited from that along the way. And, and Steve Jobs is one of those men who allowed us the, the, the possibilities and the opportunities to see big uh, with with computers, all right? So he's, an, he's an, an extraordinary man, but there's a lot of business people and a lot of tech people in the world, all right, who are ordinary. Sorry, Brian, all right, but, but, but God uses, I, I'm getting somewhere for you, okay? God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways, and that's how I want you to look at Nehemiah. Don't put him up there high and lofty. Don't put him somewhere he doesn't belong. Let's bring him down to where he really is so that we can identify with him properly because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to challenge you to see your life as an ordinary follower of Christ being capable of being intersected by an extraordinary God at an opportune time and to do something absolutely amazing for the kingdom of God. I have no desire to make life church great. All right? No desire whatsoever to make this church great. But I do have a tremendous desire to make God great inside of this church. All right? That's what I want to see. I want to see God come alive. I know he's alive, all right? He's alive, okay? But I want to see him come alive inside of this church. I want to see his manifest presence inside of this church. And the way I want to see that is through your lives. 
As you and I are connected together, as we come more and more together and are connected as God's people, and we're on mission together, and we're seeing and buying into the vision that God has given us as a church body, that all of you who, well, not all of you, some of you have come since we wrote our vision, but those of you who gathered to write that vision together, I was telling the elders this morning in a meeting that I'm so excited because I'm seeing that vision statement finally come alive. I'm seeing God fulfill aspects of that vision statement, and we're moving forward to the church that we said we would become by 2022, all right? We're doing that, and it's not because you've heard us preach a lot of sermons about the vision statement. I mean, for some of you, you would have liked to have heard more about the vision statement probably, all right? But, but that, that is what God has been doing, and he's been doing it through undercurrents, and he's doing it in wonderful ways, and he's doing it through all of you. And so as we go into this this look, if you will, into the book of Nehemiah, I want you to see a very wonderful, humble, amazing man who loves God and who who gets a heart and a burden for, for his people who are in dire situations and see how he responds out of that and then see the amazing thing that God does with this man, Nehemiah, and all of those people who rallied around him, all right? This is where I want us to land. I believe this is where we need to be. I am absolutely confident that a gospel-centered expansion, what we do as we grow going forward, and get your, kind of get your head away from a building, all right, because this isn't about a building now, okay? Uh, as we grow and as we have influence and impact more and more in the community, I believe that, and this is the big idea for what I'm going to share with you today here for a few minutes, is that gospel-centered expansion moves us to pray. It moves us to pray, all right? It will, it will ignite prayer. If we are looking at this thing right, it will ignite prayer, all right? And, and in Nehemiah's time, God was moving. And in life church's time, God is moving. And so I just want you to hear that today, all right? Just like in Nehemiah's day when God was moving, today God is moving in life church. And I want you to hold on to that. I want that to be sort of like a part of the catalytic converter that changes us, all right? I don't want you to change just because I'm telling you to change. I want you to change because you see and understand that God is on the move. God is doing something. And you want to change and, and bend your life around that move of God and his spirit inside of Life Church. So we have this guy, Nehemiah, in this opening passage of, of the book. Uh, he, is, he is there, and, and we kind of get an idea of what is going on. And Nehemiah, it says, hears about the condition of Jerusalem, the crisis that the city of Jerusalem is in, uh, the conditions that are, that are around there. He is in another place. He's in the citadel. He's in the capital, if you will. And he has this, this sort of cush job uh, right there by the king. Uh, he's living a good life, it, 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 it would appear, all right? And then he asks, he inquires, and he hears what's going on going on. Now, sometime, the, the, the time frame of this is sometime about a, around a thousand years after the time of Moses, all right? So this is a thousand years from the, from the time of Moses, and we're at about 400 years before Jesus is actually born here. So we're kind of sitting in, in that place, if you will. And so the nation of Israel, uh, the Jewish people, are in a desperate situation here, all right? Now, their nation has been destroyed, all right? Uh, first, it was the northern Jewish kingdom of Israel, and then the southern Jewish kingdom of Judah. And in the process of this destruction, 
destruction when Babylon came in, the Babylonians came in and attacked, um, the city of Jerusalem itself was completely conquered by the Babylonians. And so the, the really beautiful, once spectacular temple of Solomon was completely destroyed. It says that the walls were, were burned. The gates in particular were burned. They were set on fire, and all the gates were burned. And, and of course, then many of the stones were burned as a result of, of those fires. And so the walls became weak, and they were torn down, all right? So the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, and they deported, all right, a lot of people, all right, uh, from they just cleared out cities, all right, uh, within the region. Um, and Jerusalem uh, was something of a ghost town. Like, it, it was a lost city, if you will, at that point, and had the potential of ending up totally and completely uh, empty uh, in history, all right? It, th- there was a possibility for that. It could have been forgotten in history. That's how crazy this whole thing with the Babylonians was, all right? And so when the Jews were deported to Babylon, they began to make their homes there, all right? They began to live uh, and settle down there. Uh, They still followed God. They still served God, but they were uh, living in Babylon, and they were going on with their lives. And so some of them really didn't have a desire to return to Jerusalem. All right? They didn't want to go back and restart their lives again. They still loved God, uh, and they, they, they followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of this, but they wanted to stay where they were. But there was a group. There was a group of about 50,000 individuals who returned to Jerusalem and wanted to come back and wanted to help reestablish the city in some way. But can you imagine? They're coming back to a city that was glorious, a city that had a temple that represented the very essence and presence of God. It was, the, it was the central place of worship. And it had strong walls around the entire city and many gates going into the city. And all of that is destroyed. All of that is leveled on the ground. And there are piles of debris and rubble and stone all around this vacated city, if you will. There is nothing there that is desirable to return to. There is nothing there that would make you want to go there and to start a fresh life. All right? Anyone who returned to Jerusalem understood that they were going to a desperate place. All right? And yet there was this group that wanted to do this. Then these, are, these are faithful Jews. Now keep in mind, there were some Jews that, that God used in these other places, all right? They were raised up, and they, they had jobs in, in government, even though they had been sort of like deported out of, of Jerusalem. Uh, Daniel would be one of those. God used Daniel in powerful ways outside of, of uh, Jerusalem, okay? Um, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, those were powerful young men that God used in a great way, all right? Esther was made queen in the courts of a Persian king. God used her in a marvelous way outside of this thing, all right? So there were people who were flourishing in other places, but they were, these are people who were coming home to something that would not permit them to really flourish for a long time. All right? But after these 70 years of captivity in Babylon, they're given this opportunity to return to their homeland, which was the promised land. All right? and, and, and so out of like 
some in history say, uh, historical people say that um, this could have been like two to three million people that, that were, were dispersed out, but only about 50,000 likely came back into the city and returned. That's like a, about 2% of the original population of the city is coming back in. And, and keep in mind that in the days of Ezra, if you read in the book of Ezra just before the book of Nehemiah, you're going to find out that they tried to rebuild during the time of Ezra and were not able to do it. They were not successful there. This place that we're talking about today where Nehemiah encounters God and God puts something on the heart of Nehemiah is, is about 15 years after the book of Ezra in. It's almost a, a hundred years after these first captives came back to, to the promised land. Some 150 years after Jerusalem has been destroyed. It's a long time, folks. It's a long time. The walls of the city are still in rubble. In those 150 years, nothing had been done, really. And the one attempt to rebuild failed. Do you understand this man, Nehemiah, in, he inquires. I, I know, like he's in a good, it would have been smart for him to just shut up. You understand what I'm saying? It, it, if he wanted to stay in a good place, it, it would have been smart to not ask a question. You want to stay comfortable? Don't inquire of the Lord. I'm just going to let you know. If you want to just keep it like it is and you, you, you're okay with, with status quo and all of that, well, just don't talk to God, all right? Nehemiah says, hey, guys, this is his brother he's talking to. His brother comes from Jerusalem, and he's in the citadel now with, with Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says, hey, how is it with my people? How is it in Jerusalem? And his brother looks at him, and he says, Nehemiah, it's not good. It's not good. I'm going to tell you something. The walls are still down. The people are, are broken. He says, they are survivors. That's all he can... That, that's all he can identify them as. He didn't say, Nehemiah, my brother, the people of promise are being established. The people of covenant, they're in. This, this is good. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this thing. He calls them survivors. And Nehemiah is asking about their condition and he's asking about the city, and as his brother is speaking to him, something is happening. And what I want to say to you is God is moving. And just like God's moving in the days of Nehemiah, God is moving in the day of Life Church. Just as the Spirit moves over Nehemiah, the Spirit is moving over Life Church. All right. Just as God's heart is being exposed and God is moving his heart into the heart of Nehemiah, God is moving his heart into life church today. And you and I can look around. If we'll look with the spiritual eye, God will open our eyes to see our city accurately. God will open our, our eyes to see our city truthfully. God will open our eyes to see things as they really are. And I'm going to tell you what, spiritually speaking, the walls are down in the cities of America.
the people are broken. It's adversity all around us. I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here at all. I think you understand that. If, if you will talk to the right people, you will get a clear picture of what it's like in the, in the world. And, and I want to say to you today that the Spirit is moving on Life Church to make a difference right here where we are and around the world. You don't have people who stand up like all of these young people stood up here today who have an intent to go. And, and listen, not all of them are going to Africa or, or to Europe or somewhere. Some of them are going to some hard cities right here in the U.S. And not all of them were here today to stand up. There's others, couples, that are going to, to different communities or cities in our nation, larger cities, to work with people, to work with ha- halfway houses, to work with, with different uh, ministries, to, to try to make a difference in somebody's life. And the reason they are is because they inquired of the Lord. It was so great to hear the testimony this morning and, and, and to, to hear that, that a young woman would pray and say, okay, what do I need to do? And let God's Spirit speak to her and use examples like the rich young ruler and others. And to be willing to say, okay, I, I think this might be it. Now, God, confirm it. And allow God to speak confirmation over it. See, God moved in the day of Nehemiah, and God is moving in the day of Life Church. God is speaking today, just like He did in Nehemiah's day. God is speaking today, just like He called Nehemiah out. He's calling people out in Life Church. And I want you to hear that call. I want the Holy Spirit to begin to speak into your life, all right? And that we may think that Nehemiah is such an important man. And, and, and we may think that Nehemiah should have maybe chose a different path. But I want you to understand that once God gets a hold of you, once God grabs a hold of your heart, it changes everything. All right? God moved in the day of Nehemiah and changed a man. And God is moving today in Life Church and changing men and women. All right? God is doing something here. And I want you to understand, and I'm going to close with this right here. Nehemiah had the heart that it was the same heart that David had. It was the same heart that Jesus had. In Psalm 137, verses 5 and 6, David writes these words. It's about the city of Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. That's, That's quite a prayer right there, isn't it? In other words, let me not be able to function. Let me not be able to have an identity. Let me not be able to have a career and a means of taking care of myself. He says, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. In other words, if I do not care about this city more than I care about my own desires, then basically let me be judged. If Jerusalem was special to God, then it became special to Nehemiah. Now let me ask you a question as we close. Is this city special to you? Are you willing to invest in whatever God wants to do in this city, in particular through this church? Are you willing to let God capture your heart, change your plans, intersect your course 
so that you are doing what he desires you to do out of your love for a city that has his heart. You see, just as the Spirit was moving in the days of Nehemiah, the Spirit is moving in the days of Life Church. Just as God had a heart for the city of Jerusalem in the days of Nehemiah, God has a heart for this city, Sioux Falls, in our day. And I'm asking you to consider that. A few years ago, my wife and I accepted the call to come to Sioux Falls, to the city. There's a lot of stories in how that got confirmed, and, and, and some of those things were very miraculous, in my opinion, as to how they happened. But here's what I want to say to you today. I didn't come to Sioux Falls. I had my ordination with a denomination, and we were working under a denomination, and we were doing all of those things appropriately the way uh, they were to be done. Um, but God didn't call me to a denomination, per se. God didn't call me uh, to a particular type of ministry, per se. The only call that I really remember significantly is that God told me to go to Sioux Falls. That's, that's what I got. That's what brought me here. I came here off of a call to a city. A year or so into that, I was walking. I was walking on the south side of the city. And as I was walking along the street, I was just, just walking to be walking and praying. And I was praying for our city. And I noticed some trash on the side of the street. And as I, I looked down, I saw it. I, I was praying and I kept walking. And I honestly felt like that I, it's like I almost felt like God's hand was on my shoulder to stop me. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard an impression. I felt an impression. And it was, pick that trash up. And I'm like, I'm not the litter bag here, you know. I'm like, I just want to pray. Why is this bothering me? Because it was bothering me. And I felt another impression. Do you love your city? Do you love it enough to clean it up? Pick up the trash. I walked numerous blocks and picked, and I had an arm full of garbage as I walked until I got back home and, and dumped it in the garbage can. Do I do that every day? No. But, but God, God used that particular situation to speak something to me. And I still remember that. And you know when it comes to my mind? When I pull in out here and I see a piece of trash in the grass and I stop my car and get out and go get the piece of trash and I bring it in and put it in the garbage can because this is God's land. This is God's city. The Spirit was moving in the day of Nehemiah, and the Spirit is moving right now in Life Church. And God is calling us to this city. And I'm going to talk to you for a few Sundays here about what that looks like to be called to this city. Amen. Nathan, brother, would you please come? Close us out.